Good morning. Fatherhood and motherhood is, is a honorable thing when they're done rightly, so it's good that at least we have holidays to recognize that. When a, a man decides to take a wife, that and that's done with right motives, that's an honorable thing. When a man decides to be a father and that's done with right motives, that's an honorable thing because there are many sacrifices that we have to make to, to love our wives, love our children, and to do that with the scriptures in mind and with God's honor in mind, that is something to be honored. So it is, a, it is my pleasure to be here with many godly fathers and mothers. Please turn to Genesis chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 1 through 29. <clears throat> now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Verse five. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I'll make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you have told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, Bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. 
Look at verse 30. I'm going to read verse 30 also. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from, from the presence of his father that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And then those who have read the story know Esau is coming in with the food, ready to give his dad the food and receive his blessing. And of course, Esau doesn't receive the blessing the way that he, he had hoped for. So here in this story that we're dealing with Isaac, Isaac is now already an old man and, and he's, he's feeling his age. Several commentators said that Isaac was about 136 or 137 years by now. According to Genesis 35 and verse 28, Isaac was 180 when he passed away, when he died. So he still lived another 40 plus years after this. But his eyesight was so bad that it says there in verse 1 that he could not see. He couldn't see and he thought he was going to be dying soon. I believe also his touch was failing him because when he touched Jacob's hands, he thought it was really Esau's hands and he wasn't thinking, well, there's something wrong here. He was actually touching the goat skin that his mom put on his hands. So I believe his eyesight was failing and his touch was failing him and he saw the need to give the final blessing to Esau. But he ended up getting deceived and gave the blessing to Jacob. That was really according to God's will. God's will was that Jacob would, would receive the, the blessing. But Rebecca and, and, and Jacob did not wait on God's timing. If they had waited on God's timing, they would have seen God working for them. But they didn't. They chose to act according to their own will. But God still used what they did. God used their sin for God's good. In the last chapter of the book of Genesis, Joseph told his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Even though his brothers sinned against him, God used that sin for God's own good purposes. So God uses all, uses all that man does for his good, the good and the bad. God still rewards what we do for good, and he still condemns and disciplines the bad that we do. So we all will, will face consequences for our actions. And God still gives grace to his elect, to his chosen people. So we can understand this story or this narrative as a, a story or a moving story in four scenes. There's, there's four parts to this story. The first one is where Isaac called Esau and he told him to go on and hunt game, bring him food, that way he could bless him. That's the first scene. Then the second one is where Rebecca told Jacob what she heard and she, she told him of her plan to deceive his father. The third scene is where Jacob came and deceived his father and stole the blessing. And then the fourth scene is where Esau returns to bring his father the food, that way he could receive the blessing. So today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 29. That's the first three scenes, the first three parts. But next week, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the fourth scene. So here we have four scenes. Today we'll discuss the first three. First is Isaac and Esau. Then it's Rebecca and Jacob. Then it's Isaac and Jacob. And finally, there's Isaac and Esau again. So let's look at the first part of this story. It's Isaac talking to Esau, and he tells him, Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Here Isaac is wanting to bless his son Esau, and this right here, what he's planning on doing, this is a secret blessing. A secret blessing. We can compare it to Genesis chapter 49 when Jacob is blessing his sons. Jacob is blessing all 12 of his sons. The son that got the birthright, who was the son of Jacob's that received the birthright? That was Joseph. Reuben should have received it, but because of Reuben's sin, Reuben didn't receive the blessing. He didn't receive the birthright. Instead, it went to Joseph. So in chapter 49 of Genesis, Jacob blesses all 12 of his sons. All 12 of them. The one who received the birthright and all the, and the other 11 as well. And the way it looks like, if you look at that scene, it looks like everyone is there. The 12 sons, but all of, all of his children, all, all the daughters, his, his, his wives are, uh, would have been there. And that scene, it's, it's a solemn event. It's a holy event. You have Jacob's sons being blessed by their father in a way to where they respected what he was saying. It, it, even in that scene where Jacob is blessing his sons, there is some rebuking going on. But everyone is receiving it as what their father believes is from the Lord for each one of them. 
As I said, it's an honorable event when Jacob, I'm talking about in chapter 49, when Jacob is blessing his sons. That's an honorable event. It, it looks spiritual. It looks like an, a holy event. But this, what Isaac is trying to do in blessing his son Esau, this is not an honorable event. This is not respectable. This is a, a, a secret that he's trying to do. He's not including his wife because he knows Rebecca would disagree with it. He knows what the Lord had already told to Rebecca that that Jacob is not going to serve Esau. It's going to be Esau that serves Jacob. Jacob is God's chosen one, the one that God is going to bless, the one is who's going to continue the Abrahamic blessing that God began with Abraham and then Isaac and now Jacob. So this is a secret blessing. This is not honorable. Jacob didn't know anything about it, so Rebecca had to tell him about it. When you compare the two blessings, when Jacob blesses his sons, and when you compare that with this time where, where Isaac is, is wanting, to, wanting to bless his son Esau, there, there is a, a large difference. What Esau, or what Isaac is doing, it looks like someone who's trying to do something that's spiritual, but he's doing it in a carnal way. And we probably can enter into that. We probably can think, we, we can recognize that. Uh, as we walk with God, there's, there are times when we do things that should be done with right hearts, should be done according to the scriptures, but we don't do them in a way that honors God. We know that there's sin in our lives, and we'll be doing something that is to be a spiritual thing, a holy thing, but we're doing it in the flesh. And that's what Isaac is doing here. And as we think about these blessings where these men, where these patriarchs bless their sons, we can think about Abraham. Was there a time when Abraham blessed his sons? Was there a time when Abraham blessed Isaac? Or Ishmael. Well, there's no specific time. Uh, we saw in Genesis chapter 26 in the chapter before this where God blessed Isaac. And it was a blessing that came from Abraham and, and then to Isaac. But we don't see where Abraham blessed his sons. We see here where Isaac blessed Jacob, thinking it was Esau. And then Isaac blessed Esau. And then Isaac in the next chapter blesses Jacob. And at that part in the next chapter, it looks like Isaac is repentant there. And he's blessing Jacob the way that he should. There are a couple of times where Joseph blessed his sons. The time I mentioned in chapter 49, where he blessed the 12. And then in chapter, I think it's chapter 48, where he blessed his grandsons, where he blessed Joseph's two sons. So we see these accounts of these men blessing their sons. But in all of the accounts, there isn't food mentioned. There, there isn't a meal mentioned. It's not a, that there needs to be a meal, a meal time and then they have the blessing. We don't see any of that. So this that we see here of Isaac telling his son Jacob, thinking it's Esau, go and hunt game for me and bring me food that I love, that I may eat it and bless you. This is just an Isaac and an Esau thing. This isn't something that needed to be included in these blessings. Not that having food is a bad thing. I, I, I'm okay with good food. But when you look at it, you can see this as a pattern in their relationship. Having or loving good food. We see it from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 28, it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. And then when Esau sold and despised his birthright, what did he do that for? He did it for food because he wanted a meal. And then here where Isaac wanted to bless Esau again, he wanted a meal. Nothing wrong with food, but what we see here is something of an unhealthy obsession with it. And we see maybe a misdirection. Rather than these two to be focusing on the spiritual, they're focusing on the physical. And the writer of Genesis is seeking to bring that to our attention. There's something here that, that's not right. When Isaac should have been teaching his sons, including Esau, to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, to seek God's blessing. Instead, their common bonding was upon food. We're warned in Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19, they are, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So nothing wrong with things that are, that are neutral, but if those things become the focus, if the physical becomes the focus rather than the spiritual, then we're on a wrong track. And in our leading of our children, if that is our focus, it will be passed on to those who are watching us, to those who are following us. So Isaac's relationship with Esau should have been on a spiritual level, but he allowed it to stay on a carnal level. 
And we saw that in his whole household. So let's look at the second part of the story. Look at verse, starting in verse 6. Verse 6 says, So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Look at what, what Rebekah said there in verse 8. In verse 8, Rebekah said, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Then she told him about her plan to deceive his father. That way, Isaac would receive the blessing rather than Esau. And then again, look at verse 13. What did she tell Jacob there in 13? My son, obey my voice and go to them and go get them for me. So Rebecca here, as Jacob's mother, is repeatedly telling her son with the parental authority that she has to lie to his father, to deceive his father. She's telling him about this plan. She's coercing her, her, her son to agree with her in doing what is against God's will. She may have thought that this needed to be done, but seeking to sin against God in order to accomplish a greater good or maybe even in order to accomplish God's greater will, that is never acceptable. It's never right. God would have never, God would have had no problem in getting Jacob the, the birthright and in getting Jacob the blessing. God wasn't up in heaven thinking, oh no, Esau is going to, or Isaac's going to give Esau the blessing. Isaac's going to give Esau the blessing and I guess I'm going to have to change all of my plan and maybe it's going to have to, my plan is going to have to be through Esau rather than Jacob. There is nothing that will thwart God's plan. There is nothing that we do that will change God's ultimate will. God's will is for good and he's not relying upon us in order to do what he wants to do. So if Rebecca and Jacob had been patiently and prayerfully waiting upon God's timing, trusting in God, seeing the wrong that Isaac was doing there, even though God had promised to bless Isaac rather than, or bless Jacob rather than Esau, if they would have been waiting on, on the Lord and seeking the Lord and God would have done it his way rather than doing it, them doing it their way, they would have had some kind of testimony that they could share with others. They would have had some kind of testimony that would have spoke to their own souls and reminding them that no matter what man does, no matter how contrary man is to God's will, God will still accomplish his good purposes for his glory and also for those of, for those who are in God's will for, for their good. Those who are in Christ, those who are following the Lord, when God is glorified, it's always for God's people for their good. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. But they would have had a testimony that they could have, they could have shared a, a, a testimony in their life how it doesn't matter what looks like it's impossible to God, nothing is impossible with God. They could have had that testimony. Moses had that testimony with Pharaoh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that testimony when they were in the fiery furnace. Daniel had that testimony in the lion's den. Nehemiah had that testimony when he was building, building the wall. Many saints have had the testimony that God did the impossible for his good. There's nothing that my God, that our God cannot do. We can go on and on and on. David had that testimony against Goliath. Things that are impossible to man, they're not impossible with God. But Rebecca and Jacob, they didn't have that testimony. They connived their way to get the blessing and to get the birthright that was already going to be given to Jacob. They couldn't look back on and say, look what God has done for us. They couldn't do that. They wronged themselves there. They couldn't do that. Yet God still used what they did for his good. God still used their sin and they still paid the consequences for their sin. Rebecca was out of line here. The end does not justify the means. You know, on, on, on Mother's Day, thinking about Father's Day and Mother's Day, on Mother's Day people like to, like to talk about how great mothers are and how we appreciate mothers, and we all do appreciate mothers. But how mothers can do no wrong, how they're so good in everything that they do, and how they've done such a great job in, in their motherhood and no mom could have done it better than them. And, you know, the list goes on. 
But we need to take into account that there are some things we can learn from wives and mothers as we look at this study in Genesis. Already there's three, three wives and mothers, and, and, and they're famous wives and mothers. These are wives and mothers that are well known, and, and these wives and these mothers use their position in order to influence those who are closest to them to sin against the Lord. And these are believing wives and mothers. So I'm not including Lot's wife here. The first one we have is Eve. She ate of the fruit and then she gave it to her husband. And then he ate. Next we have is Sarah. She told Abram to take her servant Hagar to have a child with him, which led to a lot of problems. And then here we have Rebecca. Rebecca told her son to lie and deceive his father so that he could get the blessing. They use their position in order to influence those closest to them in order to sin against God. And it's true, the greatest amount of influence for good or for bad to those around us always affects those closest to us the most. We affect each other for good or for bad. And we can look at what Jacob said to, or what Rebecca said to Jacob. Rebecca said, my son, obey my voice. My son, only obey my voice. Such endearing words, my son. It reminds me of when, when Solomon told his son, my son, give me your heart. That kind of endearment is used in a good way. But the way Rebecca used it, it's, it's not a good thing. Of course, this doesn't excuse, as I mentioned, these three wives and mothers, Eve and Sarah and Rebecca. This doesn't excuse Adam's sin. It doesn't excuse Abram's sin. It doesn't excuse Jacob's sin. In two of those cases, it is the husbands who sin. So as the leaders in those marriages, they were more responsible. It doesn't excuse their sin. I just want to have us to think about how we influence each other. And then if we have a certain position and our position causes us to influence our spouses in greater ways and our children in greater ways, we should be mindful of that. Use that for good. Influence those closest to you for good. Don't influence those closest to you for bad. You will do that consciously and you will do that subconsciously in all that you do. Should Jacob have obeyed his mother here? We know the answer to that. Should Jacob have obeyed her? No, he should not have obeyed his mother here, even though the scriptures say that children must obey their parents in the Lord. In the Lord, that's that's the, the condition. As long as the authority is not telling you to sin against God, you are to obey that authority. We are to obey the authorities over us. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. But when that authority influences you to disobey God, that is where you stop obeying that authority and you obey God instead. Peter and the apostles were standing before the council and the religious authorities charged them. What did they charge them to do? What were they doing that the religious authorities didn't like? Preaching. Preaching in whose name? They were preaching in Jesus' name. And the religious authorities came to him. Yeah, it's okay to preach. It's okay to teach. That's good. That's what they're all about. The religious authorities are about good. They're about morality. They're against evil. But what the apostles and Peter were doing was they were preaching in Jesus' name. And that wasn't acceptable to them. What was Peter's response? What were the apostles' response? In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, they said, we must obey, we must obey God rather than men. So, we need to follow Romans 13.1, but we cannot follow that without following Acts 5.29. Obey God first, and then obey those authorities that God has put in place for his honor and for our growth and humility as Christians, as believers. So next we have the, the third part of this story. Here's where Jacob goes to his father to deceive his father. And even though this plan, this plan began as Rebecca's plan. This was Rebecca's plan that she was telling her son. Even when you look at it, her son was kind of hesitant. He was saying, what if, what if my father feels me and, and, and knows that, that the plan is, 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 is a lie? And then I'm going to receive a curse rather than a blessing. So he was hesitant at first, but 
he quickly jumped on board with it. He had no problem lying. He had no problem deceiving his father. And he played the part. He played the part very well, very convincingly. He came to Isaac, his father, and he said, My father. And when Isaac asked him, Who are you, my son? Jacob had no problem saying, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Jacob did very well at lying. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't stuttering. His father had no clue. He did such a great job at lying. He convinced his father, even when you look at verse 22. In verse 22, we see that Isaac was suspicious. Isaac said, the voice, of, the voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. Isaac, Isaac's hearing wasn't that bad. At least he could tell. He knew his sons. And Jacob really couldn't hide his voice. He couldn't make it sound. He couldn't fake it and make it sound like Esau's. But everything, he, he had his clothes on. He smelled like Esau. He played the part real well. He had, his hands were kind of hairy. The back of his neck was, was kind of hairy like Esau's. He put on his whole costume. He was, he was a good actor. He was a good liar. Jacob's acting and his lying was so good that he deceived his father. He was a very good liar. And that's not a good thing. If, if, if you like being good at things, you know, someone's like being good at things, we can get real competitive and we like a good challenge and we like to see if we can accomplish some difficult task. If you like to be good at things, be sure that it's, it's, it's never, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, be sure that what you're good at is never to be good at sin. Don't ever get to the place where you're such a good liar. You can hide your sin so well. You can play the good hypocrite. Don't ever be good at sin. If you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. If you have a heart to love the Lord. If you want to honor God. If God has truly saved you and, and you said, I'm going to follow you until death, Lord. And, 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 and I'm going to worship you all my life. Be good at things in your life. That, 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 that's good. God created you in his image to accomplish great things. But never let that be to be good at sin. And Jacob was very good at sin at this time. He was a good liar. He was a good deceiver. Even though his father knew something was wrong with what was going on, Jacob did such a great job that he deceived his father. He succeeded there. But one thing to be warned about when I say... If you're going to be good at something, don't let it be, don't let it be being good at sin, because sin is wrong, that dishonors God. But another thing about sin, another danger about sin, the nature of it, is it leads to more sin. It leads to greater sin. Before you know it, you're involved in sin that you never thought you would be. Sin always leads to greater sin, and we see that in this example right here. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, Jacob lied to his father, and he said, I am Esau, your firstborn. So there's a lie. Then look at verse 20. Isaac said to him, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Then Jacob said, because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. The first time Jacob lied. The second time Jacob lied. But he didn't just lie the second time. This was, uh, th th this was adding to the lie. He included God's name in order to really try to convince his father of this lie. You know, he was trying to be a good liar. But he included God's name. The first time when Jacob lied, he broke the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie to your neighbor. Anyone that comes across your path, do, do not purposely, do not lie to them. The second time, he broke the third commandment. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord your, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in, in vain. Who uses God's name in a useless way. God's name is holy. And we're to use God's name in a way that fits his holiness. We're to use his name with hearts that are yielded to him, that are submitted to God. We're to use God's name in a way that honors God. Not to purposely use God's name for our own purpose, our own pleasure. 
That's blasphemy. What Jacob did there was blasphemy. He lied to his father. He lied against God. He lied before God. And then he blasphemed God's name. Sin always leads to more sin. He was trying to reinforce his lie. But what he did was he blasphemed the Lord. And if you look at this chapter, in this chapter alone, Jacob broke seven of the Ten Commandments. The only ones that he didn't break were the fourth, the sixth, and the seventh ones. When we look at this account of Jacob, and probably as we've looked at Jacob in the past, we may think that Jacob is the kind of guy that you just really want to get caught. You think, okay, we know that he followed the Lord in the end. But, man, he's done so much bad. This is the kind of guy, he just needs to get caught. You can't go on deceiving people this way and getting away with it. It's just not right. And we can think he's this deceiver. You know, there's got to be a payday. Well, the deceiver, he got deceived. We know the story. Laban deceived him. His father-in-law, Laban, when he gave him his wife, he thought it was going to be Rachel that he wanted. He agreed to work seven years. Well, it was Leah. Then he had to work another seven years to get Rachel also. And not just that, but later on in his life, his sons deceived him. Remember, Jacob really loved his son. Who did he love very much? Joseph. He loved his son, Joseph. Again, there was favoritism there, just as... His parents had favoritism, just as his mother favored Jacob. Now Jacob is favoring a son of his. He's falling in his parents' sins. Remember, we influence one another, especially those who are closest to us. May we do it for good rather than for bad. But he loved Joseph. And we know it was wrong. We know that favoritism was wrong. But he loved Joseph. He loved Joseph. When when he had his other sons around him, he cared for them all. He loved them all. They were all his sons. And he wanted to be a good, godly father to all of them. But when Joseph was there, he was happy. His favorite was there. Everything was good. He really loved Joseph. He gave him that coat. Uh, and we can all enter into that. We know favoritism is bad, but, but there was a son who was dear to him who made him happy. Well, one day, his other sons came to him with a bloody coat, and that was Joseph's. He never saw Joseph again. They told him, well, he must have gotten killed and eaten by, by a wild animal. He never saw Joseph again. He did see him as a very old man, but he never got to see him growing up as a young man, as, as I'm sure he was looking forward to. Well, again, the deceiver got deceived. He reaped what he sowed. So there are consequences for our actions, and there were consequences for, for, um, for Jacob's actions. He was deceived by Laban. He was deceived by his sons. Well, look at the blessing there in verse 28. The blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob, thinking he was blessing Esau, of course. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. This is a blessing of provision. May God give you, God being his provider, God is going to give him what? Heaven first, the dew of heaven, blessings from heaven on high, and then the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Bless, heavenly blessings, spiritual blessings, earthly blessings, physical blessings. This is a promise of God's provision to Jacob. Look at verse 29. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. This is the blessing that goes along with the birthright. This is a blessing that is to be given to the son who has the birthright. He thought he was telling this to Esau. Again, Isaac was in the wrong. Be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. That's headship over the whole family. That's for the son who has the birthright. But this blessing, because of the Lord's will, went to Jacob. It was about Jacob that the Lord said in chapter 25, the older will serve the younger. It was Esau who served Jacob. Isaac said in that blessing, curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. This goes back to Genesis 12 and verse 3, when the Lord told Abraham 
At that time, I think it was still Abram. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This, this is the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic promise passed on to Isaac and even now passed on to Jacob. This was God's promise of protection. God's promise of, of protection and blessing for his covenant line, for his covenant people. It also included judgment on those who oppose God's people and blessing for those who bless God's people. And not only that, but also blessing for those, blessing for all people, blessing for all the nations through God's people. God wasn't only working with the people, but he was going to bless the world, bless all nations, all heathen, all those who reject God. God in his kindness, God in his love, wasn't only going to bless Jew, but also Gentile. God had a people that he was going to bless through his covenant line. It's got to come God's way, though, not our own way, right? God's blessings don't come our own way. I used to say as an unbeliever, well, God forgives, right? And I thought because God forgives, well, I was included in that. I thought God's blessings came my way. God's blessings come. God's love and his forgiveness comes, but it comes his way, not ours. So this blessing, this covenant also included many descendants in the land of Canaan for the Jews at that time. But this blessing was not for Esau. God had rejected Esau. This blessing was for Jacob. There are about a dozen times in in the scriptures where God says that he's a God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So this that we're looking at is 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 Isaac's messed up family. And and we could have, you know, I I titled it titled it. Isaac blesses Jacob. That's that's a good a good title, but we could have called it Isaac's messed up family because it was it was a very messed up family. But this family, this this marriage of Isaac's, we can remember it began so well. It started out so well. Remember, Abraham sent his servant all that way to find a a God fearing woman for his son, Isaac. And when the servant of Abraham found her, he was prayerful and and she answered all of his many prayers and when he met her she was running around and getting water for his camels getting water for the servant getting water for all those men who were with who were with the servant a diligent woman rebecca and then when it's time for him to leave and and her family was hesitant well she was the decisive one in saying that she would go with this servant to go and meet isaac and go meet her future husband and then when she gets back and she sees isaac he takes her into the tent and he loves her he married her it began so well. We could say it was almost like a fairy tale wedding. All that's missing from it is that they went and lived happily ever after. But the problem with fairy tales is that they're not real. They're not real. True relationships and true marriages and true churches are real. And they have real problems. And because we have real sin and because we are really still in the flesh. And because we're still in this process of progressive sanctification, we're still growing, we're still falling after the Lord. Hopefully we're not as sinful as we once were, but we're not sinless. We're still growing and there's still flesh. And many times the closer we are to each other, the more we'll sin against each other, the more we'll rub each other the wrong way. So we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge our sin and confess and give each other the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're right and we're wrong. We should forgive each other when we're sinned against. Many times, you know, thinking about wronging, wronging each other, many times when, when there is an offense, a lot of times it's, it's not such a hill to die on. It's not something that we need to say, all right, time out, let's have a discussion and we're not going to move on until we get this all figured out. Many times that doesn't even need to happen. You know, a wife can think, well, my husband did such and such and, and he's done that before and he knows better and, and she can be hung up on it. I can't believe he did that three days ago and she's still hung up about it. If she really thinks about that wrong that her husband did to her, she can think, well, you know what? He used to do that all the time. When we were first married, he did that all the time and he didn't care. Yet he hasn't done that for probably a few months. And maybe the last time he did that, he hadn't done that for a few months before that. Well, maybe something like that doesn't need to be addressed. Maybe something like that just needs to be forgiven and forgotten about and moved on. 
because he's growing in his sanctification. He's learning to not do what offends his wife. At the same, in the same way, the wife is growing in her sanctification and learning to not do what offends her husband. And they're living together in peace and in harmony and in a way that honors their God. Less sin and more opportunity to love each other and to honor God and, and to instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. And, and they're growing. That, that's good. Things like that, they don't need to be brought up and they don't need to be remembered. Sometimes we'll remember something because uh, because we just want to be able to hold it against one another. You know, someone can say, wow, brother so-and-so, he's so evangelistic. And then someone else can say, well, he's actually very prideful. Uh, someone can say, well, she, she's she's so kind. And then another person can say, yeah, but she can't even raise her her kids right. You know, it's it's like when someone speaks a good about another person, is there something in your head and in your heart or in my head and in my heart that wants to knock that person down. Yeah, maybe there's good there, but, you know, he's not he's not a saint. Well, none of us are saints. In that sense, right? <laughs> you could correct me and say, well, we're all saints. Scriptures call us saints. I mean, in that way, none of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. But there is something when we're trying to hold some fault against one another that's happened in the past. There could be something in us because we're trying to keep them down so we, we can be higher, so that we can look good. I would just say, brothers and sisters, there, there, it, it will do ourselves and one another a great service just to forget about the wrong that we've done to each other. If it's bad enough, you need to address it. But if it's not bad enough to address it, then you need to forget forget about it. And I, I, I can do that myself. I can think, well, yeah, I'm not going to talk to my brother about that, but I'm still thinking about how bad my brother was and what he did five months ago. Well, that's wrong. If it's if it's so bad, well, then it should have been addressed. Their family here was a messed up family, and we can we can see this this problem that they had in their family when we look at how the way the Lord shows it to us. There there are these four parts. In this chapter, again, we only looked at the first three parts, but in, in these four scenes that we're seeing in this family, this family had no unity. It didn't have unity. The first part, we have Isaac with Esau, his favorite. There's a favorites right there. Favorite son, favorite parent. The next time you have Rebecca with Jacob. Again, favorites right there. Favorite son, favorite parent. The next time you have, you have, um, Jacob with with Isaac, but he's deceiving his father to get to gain from him wrongfully. And then the last time you see again, favorite son, favorite parent, you see Esau and Isaac together and poor Esau is not going to get what he thinks is coming to him. Well, we see this division in their family. You, you, you think, could the family have come together to have discussed their problems it wasn't a very big family. It only had four people, two parents and two sons. It wasn't a big family, yet there was such division. You only see the favorites together, you know, most of the time. They should have come together. They should have discussed their issues. They should have restored the marriage, restored the, the, the family in order to honor God. And, and, and that wasn't there. I put here about where we should... Um, if we're, if we have, if there's an offense that was made and, and we're hanging on to something and that has been done to us in the past. Well, I'm sure we're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 about love. It says, love thinks no evil. In the margin there, it says that love keeps no accounts of evil. Love doesn't keep accounts of evil. It doesn't remember that evil that was done. And then, um, you know, I, there, there are times where I like to get onto YouTube and I watch some things that are going on, some controversial things, and, and we can do that as Christians. We can, we can look at the great evils that are happening in the world. But in, in this text that we're looking at today, we're looking at the sin against God that happens in, in, in our families. We can talk about how evil the world is, and the world is evil. And thank God he spared us from a lot of that evil that's happened. He's changed our hearts, made us born again. We're not that we're here at church when 
Back in the day, we wouldn't be here at church. We'd be hungover. We'd be in sin. And, 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 and that's a good thing. But what we're looking at in our text here in Genesis 27 is sin, but it's sin in a believing family. It's sin. These are believers, though. Isaac was a believer. Rebecca was a believer. Even Jacob became a believer. I don't, I don't think he was a believer yet at this time, but he became a believer. And, 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 um, this is, this is a believing family that we're looking at. It's something that, that we can really relate to. How we're believers, yet we haven't arrived yet. Look at, um, verse 20. Speaking about believers and believing families, look at verse 20. Remember how, um, Isaac said to Jacob, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? What did Jacob say back to his father there? Because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. This is one of the reasons why I would say Jacob was not a believer yet. I mean, he wasn't acting like a believer for one, for sure, right? But look what he says there to his father. Because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. He called God his father's God, which he was his father's God. But he said, the Lord, your God, can we here say God is my God? Can each one of us say, yes, God is my God? I mean, you, you can say, well, well, theologically, even if I say God is my God and I'm not born again, that doesn't make God automatically my God. I'm not a magician. Salvation isn't based upon my words. Salvation is based upon election, which is true. Salvation is based upon God's choice, which is true. Salvation is a miraculous work that doesn't happen just because I say it is so. We know this to be true. But if you're saying that about your own salvation, if you're sitting here and you're not a believer and you're saying, well, I can't just say that God is my God. Well, that's not the way faith talks. Faith doesn't talk that way. Faith doesn't say, well, I can't just say God is my God because I must be born again first. Faith says, yes, God is my God. And I'll follow him. And I'll live for him. And his purposes are his purposes. But in his grace and in his kindness, may he truly save me. But he's my God. Can we each say God is my God? Or are we like, are we like Jacob here? With his father saying, the Lord, your God. Do we recognize God is God is who he says he is and and God is God and God is true. But I'm not born again. He is not my God. Or can we say, yes, he is also my God. Can, can, Can we make that personal? Faith will say, yes, God is my God. So as we looked at Isaac's family we're reminded of the fact that God works in broken families. God works in broken families. We can think about the woman at the well. She had a real messed up family life, a real messed up love life, right? She had five husbands, Jesus said, and and the one she was with, the sixth man was not her husband. Yet Jesus still gave her living water. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isaac's family reminds us that God works in broken families, but that doesn't excuse us from not working in these families and not trying to fix these families with the scriptures in hand, with with God's will in mind, prayerfully going to godly counsel if we need to, but discussing these problems and trying to work through them, not thinking that these problems are going to fix themselves, right? They're not going to fix themselves. They don't just go away. This shows us God cares about families and the scriptures. God tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And the scriptures, God tells wives to submit to their husbands. And the scriptures, God tells children to obey their parents. God cares about families. When in the book of Acts, when when the gospel goes out, it, it says this promise is for you and for your children and for all those who will come. God cares for families. And God cares for even those families that are messed up. And we can think about it. Isaac's family was in the covenant line. God repeatedly calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And God is not ashamed to be identified with his people. Even though his people still mess up, and those people don't look like they should be identified as God's people, God is not ashamed to be identified with them. Jacob's testimony shows us that God came to save sinners, not the righteous. Jacob was a liar. He was a deceiver. He was a blasphemer. Yet, that didn't disqualify him from receiving God's grace. We read in Romans chapter 9, verses 11 and 13 about Jacob, about Jacob and, 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 and um, Esau. It says, before Jacob was even born, God chose Jacob. Before he was born. Even before he was allowed to disqualify himself, as we all would be disqualified from grace. We all would be disqualified from salvation. Romans 9, 11 through 13 says, For the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Before Jacob was born, before he even came out of the womb, God loved him. Yet God should have hated him. God should have hated both of them. God should have hated all of us with this holy hatred. God is holy and we have sinned and we have sinned against this holy God of ours. But according to his purpose of election, God chose Jacob. And according to his purpose of election, he has chosen all of his people before the foundation of the world. And that's what we, that's what we see in this family, this messed up family that God in his grace deals with and cares for and loves and works through Mess of families. And, and you can see Jacob's life. You see this, this deceiver. He starts off so bad and so evil. As, as we're going to see about him in the future chapters, he starts to call God his God. He starts to, to seek to honor God even there on his deathbed as he's blessing his sons there at the end in Genesis 49. It looks like an, an, an honorable event. So we're all growing. And God is patient with us. We should be patient with one another as well. Well, let's pray.